This is a podcast from CSIS, the Center for Strategic and International Studies, a private nonpartisan think tank located in Washington, D.C. For more, including reports, commentaries, and event audio and video, visit us online at www.csis.org. Hello, and thanks for tuning into the CSIS Cybersecurity Podcast Series. My name is Denise Jung, and I'm the Program Manager and Research Assistant at the Technology and Public Policy Program at CSIS. A botnet is a collection of computers or bots that run automatically. They allow hackers to remotely control a group of network computers that are infected, and they are used for a variety of malicious objectives, including email scams and recording keystrokes. It's estimated that the majority of all spam comes from botnet armies. Botnets can be used in distributed denial-of-service attacks, which makes a website or server unavailable to intended users by clogging up the network. They can also be used for spamming and traffic monitoring, key logging, which facilitates mass identity theft, botnet spread, and pay-per-click systems abuse, among numerous other things. They can also be rented out on the black market at a per-machine and per-day basis on the Internet. In February 2010, NetWitness, a company that specializes in cyber threat detection and real-time network forensics, discovered a dangerous new Zeus botnet. This botnet, also known as Neighbor, had been gathering login credentials to online financial systems, social networking sites, and email systems for more than 75,000 infested computers and more than 2,500 organizations around the world. Amit Yuran is the CEO of NetWitness and has been since November of 2006. Prior to NetWitness, he was appointed as Director of U.S. CERT and the National Cybersecurity Division of the Department of Homeland Security. He was also previously the CEO and advisor to InQtel, the venture capital arm of the CIA. Amit, could you explain what a botnet is, how it is used, and the effects that it could produce? Sure. A botnet is technology that uh, people would use, criminals, uh, nation states, uh, whoever really has the technical means, to compromise computers and control them remotely, access the data that's on those computers, use those computers as launching points or attack platforms against other computers, uh, and gain information that uh, whatever might be of interest to them. Bot toolkits are reported to be widely available on the underground economy. Could you tell us more about the black market for these technologies? How easily accessible are they? And how do our adversaries gain access to them? Yeah, these technologies, uh, botnet uh, components, if you will, are broadly available on the Internet. The, you know, the base building blocks of these technologies are... Uh, uh, pieces of software with uh, published source code uh, that's available to the underground community, to miscreants, criminals, uh, whoever might uh, have interest in using them, and also the ability to modify them so that they don't uh, trigger a lot of typical signature patterns that antivirus products or intrusion detection systems might be looking for. So these uh, uh, pieces of technology are out there and broadly available, the most advanced of which are available for sale uh, to uh, to miscreants, criminals, or, or whoever wants to uh, to buy them. What are we doing to police the black market activity? Are we are we doing much at all? It's very difficult for governments to police this sort of uh, black market activity because the internet, at its core, uh, suffers from a a 
tremendous difficulty in providing attribution of activity. So the way computers can be routed, the way packets can be routed through various computers and launching, uh, launching points, the ability to remotely control systems, makes it very difficult to trace the sources of activity back typically more than one hop, and especially if they're coming from locations or jumping through locations which don't have cooperative uh, international uh, federal uh, law enforcement agreements with one another. The white paper NetWitness produced about Niebuhr noted that the botnet was focused for a period on the theft of credentials. Over 68,000 were stolen over a four-week period. Um, Facebook and other social networking sites were by far the most heavily targeted. Why is this? Um, would email systems be more appealing? Well, it, it, sure, and that's, and that's a great question. So Niebuhr, I think, is typical of a lot of modern... Zeus, which is a, uh, a piece of bot technology, and Zeus variant uh, bots, which Niebuhr was one. And uh, it is, and historically has been a financial uh, services or a threat to financial services in that it would steal your online credentials, your user accounts, your password, your account information uh, to your online banking systems. Niebuhr did that. Niebuhr also had some uh, advanced characteristics to specifically target mail systems and social networking sites to grab not only the login credentials but also grab things like address books and to be able to generate uh, attacks against those people in your address book so it would be it could send them messages looking like it came from you which they're more likely to open and be susceptible to this type of social engineering or combination of, of very targeted uh, phishing and spear phishing attacks. The top five countries with compromised machines infected with Niebuhr were in Egypt, Mexico, Saudi Arabia, Turkey, and the United States. And your report also cited that the majority of command and control servers were associated with IP addresses located in China. Does this suggest anything about the source of the attack? Uh, I don't think that uh, it does uh, provide any sort of conclusive evidence about the source of, of the attacks. The fact that they were able to compromise systems across so many different nations, uh, again, is not surprising given the common platforms and the common use of computer systems around the world. The fact that uh, some of the command and control mechanisms were in China and places which don't have the sort of uh, cooperative uh, federal uh, law enforcement relationships with many nations in the West, the United States, and others, uh, again, isn't surprising. So it becomes very difficult for governments to work with one another to shut down these types of criminal enterprises. You were formerly the head of U.S. CERT at DHS. Um, they launched the Einstein program in 2004, which is an intrusion detection system that monitors the network gateways of government departments and agencies for unauthorized traffic. Now DHS is testing the third version of the program. Um, could you elaborate on the evolution of Einstein 1 to 3? What types of new capabilities does 3 have? Sure. Well, Einstein, uh, in its original iteration, was really designed to provide some visibility across federal departments and agencies on the, in the civilian infrastructure, really looking at flow data. So looking at the, the metadata, the characteristics, the addresses of flows of information between a government agency 
uh, across its gateway traffic. And so where you might see uh, an attack or identify an attack, you could do a comparison and say, hey, we're seeing this activity across these various agencies. And so it was really the introduction of a federated monitoring program across the federal civilian infrastructure, which is which was focused on flow uh, on flow records. In Einstein two, that expanded to include specific attack signature uh, detection capabilities. So a sort of modest uh, increase or, or augmentation of the capabilities of, of Einstein one. Einstein three is really uh, difficult to put one's finger on because of the highly classified nature of uh, the Einstein 3 program as part of the Comprehensive National uh, Cyber Initiative. It really introduces the basic uh, ability to block attacks. The signatures of what's being blocked uh, is still uh, held at a very highly classified level, the effectiveness of, of those signatures uh, how narrow or wide those signatures are is really uh, uh, not broadly known, and so it's difficult to say how effective that would be, you know, vis-a-vis commercial technologies which which are available. How advanced is the Einstein technology in comparison to what is available to major companies in the private sector? Um, are agencies like U.S. CERT and NSA able to share its cybersecurity technologies with the private sector? Agencies have a history of sharing security technologies with the private sector, so I don't really see uh, that there are legal impediments in in doing that. There are more typically cultural impediments, uh, given the nature of NSA and, and some of the work that's done there. They, and being an intelligence organization, they tend to highly classify most of, uh, if not all, of, of their activities. So the ability to share a signature, if you will, with folks in with other uh, network defenders in the federal government is culturally limited and also legally limited given the, uh, the high levels of classification. When you start looking at the private sector and the intelligence community's ability to share, be it signature sets or other information with the private sector, uh, it's, it's severely limited. So I don't think that there's a whole lot uh, that can be done about that. And it's, it's, uh, it's a shame because the NSA has been uh, a significant contributor to the IT security community over the years in terms of helping to define security requirements, introduce new security uh, capabilities and concepts like, like the original firewall. Do you think the Einstein technology is on par with what the private sector has? Um, is one better than the other? Well, I think it's really difficult to... Uh, uh, to weigh in on this saying it's, this is on par above below what the private sector brings to the table uh, given again the classified nature of, uh, of the programs uh, I do believe that government developed technologies come from a limited uh, gene pool don't benefit from the type of commercial software development uh, life cycle management product management diverse requirements set uh, and the resulting technologies are, are not very cost-effective nor very well-supported, making those government, kind of stranding those government programs, if you will. I believe the government would be best suited to really define their requirements and help encourage the development of those required features in commercial products so that those products would, again, be available to the government but also to, uh, to the private sector so it can uh, better defend itself against these sort of advanced cyber attacks. 
On the issue of classification and information sharing, do you think that um, we have an over-classification problem? Do you think that um, it's a serious impediment to information sharing, information sharing that we really need to provide security? I think the uh, classification problem in cybersecurity is severely limiting our ability to adequately address these issues. The current national posture uh, on cyber is really a legacy of the the final two years of of the Bush administration where the director of national intelligence uh, convinced the president that cyber is an important issue and needs to be uh, addressed. The uh, comprehensive national cyber initiatives was stood up underneath the director of national intelligence and is largely dominated by an intelligence mindset. So overclassification, the sort of concept of centralized monitoring capability and and uh, and uh, the community defending, if you will, uh, the government or the uh, you know the nation. I don't think that's a model that scales. Uh, but because it, again, was born from the intelligence community, it has a tendency to overclassify even simple elements uh, which could be used by network defenders, things like IP addresses. If I have a classified IP address or I get an IP address from a classified source, I can't load that IP address into my intrusion monitoring systems because it's classified and, my, and those systems are unclassified and connected to uh, to my unclassified network. So the practical ability to use classified information in defending networks is really uh, limiting our uh, success. Some experts say that left to its own devices, market forces in the private sector are not sufficient for providing cybersecurity and that the government needs to step in and help induce better security in the private sector. Um, What is your opinion? I think that there is little question the current market state is not in equilibrium with the the public interest. And and that's self-evident by the number of uh, news reports, stories, data breaches, and compromises. Uh, That's not to say that market forces can't be successful in this mission. And and by that I mean uh, in order for the market uh, to to achieve – uh, equilibrium or a better sense of equilibrium, we need to have things a better uh, transparency, a true understanding of cost of uh, breach. And what ex- what happens today, uh, there's no accountability for security breaches. There's a lack of transparency. So other than the breaches which disclose personally identifiable information, uh, a lot of much more sensitive breaches uh, have no reporting requirement to to the public interest or to the, uh, uh, to the public. And so organizations can basically bury the fact that they've been compromised. They don't have to incur the cost of the disclosure, uh, and therefore it causes an underinvestment in security. Uh, you can change the transparency requirements. You can change the reporting requirements. Uh, and I think what will ultimately happen is a greater awareness of how pervasive these breaches are, how costly they are, and ultimately it will encourage greater investment in protection and risk mitigation uh, techniques in the private sector. Are there any examples of private-public partnerships that we can learn from that you think are particularly successful models? The There are public-private uh, partnerships which are 
uh, and have been successful in, in discrete function, whether you're looking at the energy sector, the financial services sector, where they have a combination of industry, self-regulation, and uh, regulatory bodies uh, which meet regularly and work, uh, uh, work together. There's other private par- uh, public uh, uh, private partnerships in the FBI's uh, InfraGuard program, in the various information sharing and analysis centers. And each one of these has uh, varying degrees of success. The financial services ISAC, for instance, uh, is a very tight community that does share a lot of very relevant information, has been used effectively by its members uh, to defend their their IT networks against all sorts of uh, threats. Uh, Others have been far less successful. So it's a... uh, a complex <laughs> question, which we could really dive into for uh, uh, with significant research. Thank you for listening to the CSIS podcast. For more, please visit us online at www.csis.org.